Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle Podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle Program, and I'm your host, Chris Angle. I'm the author of four books in philosophy, one of which is The Defining Ethics, Good and Evil, and uh, they're free for uh, viewing at thephilosophicalangle.com. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, uh, if you like this uh, this uh, episode, give us a comment and hit the like button and subscribe if you will. Along with me is my colleague and co-host Rick Samuelson. Rick graduated from Yale and has MBAs from Wharton and Tufts. He's an independent venture capitalist out on the West Coast. Good to see you, Rick. Good to see you. The purpose of the philosophical angle is to examine the nature of concepts and ideas uh, in current media. And uh, this week we're going to we're going to inquire as to why the liberal Democrats are against abortion. I mean, uh, they're against pro-abortion and family values. So. <clears throat> Uh, family values, they would probably say that they have their own family values, but they're a little bit different from conservative family values in that conservative family values probably are individually oriented uh, and uh, core family, nuclear family oriented, whereas the liberal Democrats are uh, want to help families and their family values by governmental programs. Um, and they're also for abortion and um, kind of have to ask yourself why it's really not pro-family if you're uh, for abortion and uh, and uh, they uh, typically call the Republicans evil so uh, why call us evil when they're for abortion so uh, what's what's going on here we need to explore the uh, really the nature of the uh, between the left and the right in order to understand what's going on here and so let's do that so in society <clears throat> if you go back and understand uh, the, the the political the origin of politics in society it, it doesn't happen until there arises within any society as somebody superior uh, to somebody else, uh, a chieftain, uh, uh, a king, a queen. Um, somebody rises to the top, and and it, and somebody always will rise to the top because it's uh, because of two factors, two principles of, of of life. And first is the first dictum of life that we all seek that which is good for it, and continually seek that which is good for it, uh, for good for life, and. Uh, so naturally, uh, a chieftain or a queen or a king or a queen will rise to the top because it's when you rise to the top, you get to uh, uh, acquire more assets and more goodness for your life. And so that's the first uh, that's the first dictum. And the second dictum is we're going to refer to uh, is uh, Saint Augustine's principle of libido dominandi, and which says that uh, we have a will. To dominate, and this is confirmed in anthropological studies too. So kings and queens uh, evolve, and and they are the we're going to call those the haves, and uh, and as they evolve, uh, the other class of society at the time would be the the have-nots, and so that's the origin of all of between uh, 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 in all politics. That's the very start of it, 
and after the kings and queens in society uh, begins to uh, uh, expand and, and uh, population expands, then you can add the kings and queens need a, uh, the nobles uh, to help uh, uh, facilitate uh, their, uh, their policies in society. And in modern-day democracies, and we're actually in modern-day countries throughout the world, um, the nobles and, and, and their, uh, the king and queen and their nobles and their associates are replaced with uh, government bureaucrats. And even more recently, they're replaced with corporate management as corporate management is starting to turn left. And uh, they are all needed in order to control the have-nots, and particularly corporate management is needed because these have-nots pay taxes uh, which we should probably call tribute, and uh, uh, to in order to keep the kings and nobles and their associates and and the uh, the presidents and uh, the government uh, uh, <clears throat> with money in order to be able to uh, to uh, for them to have what they need to do in order to control the uh, the have-nots, and uh, they believe that. Um, uh, they're doing the right thing because the nature of the of the people in the low class and the, the have-not class, these are the serfs, the proletariats, the slaves, uh, and they believe that, uh, the Democrats believe that people of this low class, of the serf class, are inherently bad, that their uh, their, their nature is, is not good. And uh, and there are those at the left that are, uh, they, they, they believe that uh, the have-nots are born this way, that they are inherently bad. And, uh, but there are some that in the, uh, in the, um, in the have-not class, uh, that uh, in the worker bee class, in the slavery class, they, uh, they are, they're not content to be in the bottom, in the serfdom. And it, uh, it, so they, they want to break out. Uh, and they... Uh, uh, they try to break out of, the, of their lower class, uh, and and they do this. Um, and, and when they do this, they um, uh, they created the uh, the middle class, and the middle class and the left tolerates this because the middle tax uh, class pays more taxes. And um, so. It's, uh, it, it'd be thought, it's, it's considered by the, the have-nots that these uh, non-cooperative ones that want to break out, um, they are also, their, their nature also is, is inherently bad, and so they need to be controlled. And when they need to be controlled, um, the Democrats, um, for another reason, uh, and we're going to call it the Lord Acton principle, uh, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So what happens there is that when uh, you, uh, uh, when you, the more you gain control of a, of a class of people, the more you have less respect for them because you no longer have to cooperate with them. If you don't cooperate with them, you lose all respect for them, and which is the nature of, 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 of ethics that it's the appropriate dispensation of respect is the nature of ethics, and and so they uh, lose respect, and they and they also lose the ability, the will to uh, behave ethically toward the the very bottom. And you can see this throughout history: the lords and the and the kings have treated uh, the serf class horribly throughout uh, throughout their history. But then what happened is that they got so low is that. Um, 
a couple of revolutions broke out and uh, heads rolled and uh, suddenly the uh, the uh, kings and queens realized that they cannot treat there is a there is a a limit to how badly they can treat the the lower class and what happened another concept evolved out of that and that was noblesse oblige and which is uh, thought by the kings and queens that they do have an obligation to give the 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 serfs uh, the proletariat the, the slave class at least a, a reasonable life uh, a, a bare minimum life uh, to be able to uh, uh, to live their lives otherwise they rise up and uh, and they don't want that to happen so uh, they understand uh, and we're going to call that the, the uh, uh, one of the five principles that uh, that uh, of politics and uh, which is the noblesse oblige uh, principle and uh, <clears throat> so now that they realize that they have uh, that they have, there's a standard by which they have to give the lower class uh, and uh, and control that lower class and this means that when they have that lower class noblesse oblige teaches them that uh, they just have to give one and that everybody is just equal in all cases uh, through that lower class and uh, when they're all equal, uh, then uh, uh, they can can be controlled, and uh, and the uh, and they don't have to think of the individual uh, person. Uh, they only think of the whole class and give the same to everybody within that class. And um, then, <clears throat> because they have no respect, as we mentioned. Then, then they don't have any empathy for the uh, advocates of the individual rights of anybody who jumps out of that class, and and then they come up with words like deplorable to uh, to be able to describe uh, the lower classes uh, that they govern, and you end up with a, a caste socialism situation, and from this we can we can conclude we can come to a we can deduce why they are uh, pro-abortion because they look not at the individual but as class they look in they look at people as a as as a within a class and not with as an individual and so when you look at as a class they don't see that the that there's a, an individual loss of life in a, in a single abortion they only look as whether the whole class is healthy and whether it conforms to what they are obliged to give in their in the principle of the noblesse oblige, and so that's uh, and the same with uh, family values. They don't look at the individual uh, values that are are being placed. They look at the whole class of uh, uh, of the of the lower class, and and so enough of me uh, speaking about this. So let's find out what Rick thinks about. Um, uh, the liberal Democrats and uh, and family values and uh, Rick, what do you think? Uh, let me offer a somewhat darker interpretation. I think the, uh, the you need to consider the the real end game here, and I believe the end game is uh, totalitarian control. And conservatives always need to bear in mind that the left is already thinking two, three steps ahead, um, whereas conservatives are always fighting a losing defensive battle on 
what appear to be multiple somewhat unrelated issues. Like it's, it doesn't seem that climate control or climate change hysteria, which is what it is, should be consistent with allowing for more immigration. Why would you want more people in the country polluting more? By definition, if you have more people, you have more pollution, right? It's a pretty simple analysis. Yet, dig a little bit deeper and you find that, well, you know, immigrants overwhelmingly vote for Democratic politicians. So we have to encourage that if we're ever going to be able to take over, you know, the various state legislatures and consolidate their control. So they are quite happy forming these hybrid, seemingly inconsistent policies that marry the broader goal of achieving a totalitarian control of society with pragmatic, frankly, tactical policies that will enable that. And you see this manifested in many forms. So a long-term project the left has been to destabilize and ultimately remove mediating institutions in the United States. This is the stuff that Tocqueville noted in his classic piece that really differentiated the United States from Europe, right? The presence of, you know, the Masons, the importance of the church hat, the, you know, rotary clubs, the Boy Scouts, all this stuff that has a long and distinguished history in the United States and presented an alternative means of organizing society and indeed promoting certain principles like self-determination, self-reliance. And, you know, what they have done, you know, thanks to the civil rights movement, actually, is they've been able to marry a strategy of framing every debate they want to win in terms of some form of right. And some of these are, you know, extemporaneously manufactured, frankly, with an endless siege of lawsuits against the organizations that they want to remove, undermine, diminish, or what have you. And, you know, the Boy Scouts are a classic example, right? So they managed to, they managed to actually destroy the Boy Scouts by the seemingly incompatible notion that, okay, well, there are 86,000 plaintiffs that have been molested by scout leaders, according to the various depositions. And at the same time, we have to force the Boy Scouts to accept gay scout leaders. Well, I mean, how do you, at any logical level, how do you marry those two concepts? Well, 
you know, this this comes down to tactics. They must destroy the Boy Scouts while at the same time asserting these, frankly, manufactured rights. Um, and again, this all uh, um, is a function of an approach they've used ever since the civil rights legislation was, you know, quite successful in, in reducing um, outright discrimination, particularly in the South. Um, and it's, you know, frankly, it's worked like a charm. Um, the, the third, the third element to this is that they work, they work from out of the institutions where they've already achieved control, right? That they have, they control the education system. They control the federal government. Irrespective of whether they're Republicans or Democrats in office, they control the administrative state in the federal government and many state governments. So that is their most powerful, these are the most powerful tools, right? And they roll, they go back to them again and again. So it's easy for a conservative to say, well, <laughs> you know, actually it's game over. Um, you know, even if we win back the presidency, even if we uh, increase our, our, our dominance of, of at least some state legislatures, at the end of the day, this, the, the cards are so stacked against the conservatives that, um, particularly because they control the media um, and all the information flow to high tech, they control all that. They're actively censoring, you know, the federal government doesn't intervene, which is remarkable. Um, and if this, if, this, if this were happening in a communist country, of course, there'd be, uh, you know, worldwide uproar, complaints, um, and we've seen that in the past. But it's happening here now, and, you know, you get a shrug of the shoulders from the federal government, which is astonishing. And frankly, unprecedented. Um, but there is some uh, cause for hope in this. What is coming out of this uh, COVID, frankly, manufactured crisis, which is less about people dying than about the government gaining more control. Which is why I don't think they're going to let go of it anytime soon. I think you know they'll be variant-based lockdowns. We've already seen that, right? Uh, the stated goal of uh, cutting off all travel to the UK and Europe and Brazil and so forth was to uh, protect the United States from the variant. Well, <laughs> you can count on uh, you know, almost an infinite number of variants to suit that purpose, uh, whatever it's convenient to use it, right? And we could have you know, numerous uh, vaccine uh, developments going on simultaneously to try to deal with all these variants. So, you know, it, it, it depends on how far they want to take this, but the precedent's been set, so one can, by default, frankly, expect them to use that precedent over and over again when it's convenient. It's the path of least resistance. Um, but the reason I'm somewhat optimistic is I think parents that have, you know, have, have had to deal with 
this dysfunctional school system we have now, which is failing miserably and not teaching kids effectively online, you know, they're already resorting to alternatives. Uh, in some cases, private schools, in many cases, homeschooling, in other cases, forming these pods, and they're seeing that their kids are being indoctrinated, and whereas they weren't, frankly, completely aware of it, because the curriculum has been changing gradually, it's like a frog boiling in water over many years, you know, history's been rooted out, any reasonable, uh, factually-based history anyway, and certainly anything to do with traditional physics has been essentially rooted out of the school systems. Um, and they don't like it. They don't like what they're seeing. Um, and so I think uh, that there's the beginning of a counter-movement that will, uh, at least in the conservative states where I think many people will be fleeing now going forward, uh, you're going to see a return to frankly more traditional learning. If you go back to the formation of uh, British colonies, right, for a couple of hundred years, there really wasn't much of a school system. And you ask yourself, read their wills, read the, their letters. Uh, these were educated people that didn't go to school. So how is this possible? Well, they were taught at home. They were taught to read the Bible. They were taught to read some of the classics. Uh, people were literate, and in many cases, more literate than individuals coming out of the high schools today. Yes, <clears throat> absolutely true. Standards were higher. Right. All right. The distractions were fewer. And so you don't need, in my view, um, the existing monstrosity of you know, what they call the educational system in the United States, to educate people. The online resources are exploding. The options we have are far greater and far more efficient and cheaper than anything we've ever seen before. I don't, I don't think, I think every parent over the next 10 years will wrestle with whether it is necessary or financially sensible to send a kid, a kid to college when the expense of it is so outrageous. Right. They're all making these calculations. Or they do the first two years at home online and then maybe do two years at a college. I mean, there'll, there'll be all manner of variations and uh, options offered on this front. And once, you know, once the left starts losing control of... Um, a, 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 an organ that is as vital to their strategy as the, the educational system, you know, that really spells trouble. So they will fight that tooth and nail. They will fight the any effort to homeschool. They will fight any effort to form charter schools. They will fight any effort to, to uh, allow for an alternative to the colleges tooth and nail. They will fight this with everything they have. But the economics are too daunting. They outprice themselves, right? The cost of uh, delivering uh, even uh, a high school education in the United States uh, has risen to, I think, an average of $12,000 or more per student. Our pri 
private Christian school for my daughter is eight thousand. Do the math. Right. Every everyone can do that math. And you know the the fact that the economy is vastly worse than is re- being reported publicly, and the un- unemployment or effective unemployment is vastly worse than is being reported publicly. And I know people that are at their jobs not being paid, yet they're employed. They're not being paid. They're doing it because they want to uh, uh, ensure the, the survival of their business. If that's if that's employment, okay, right. Well, that's that's a technical definition of employment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so unemployment. Um, Structural high unemployment is going to come with its own complications for the left because they don't have an answer except to pay people not to work, and then eventually you run out of money, other people's money. So they're on a collision course uh, with other fundamental trends, and you know at the margin they're going to favor. Um, going back to the well over and over again, namely these lockdowns and you know, periodic lockdowns and centralized government initiatives and, um, you know, frankly, beating up the small business owner uh, because it suits their other goals. But in the long run, people are rational. Well, you're right. Your picture of the uh, present society is fairly dark. And... Uh... But let's thank uh, Rick for that. And uh, if you like this uh, <clears throat> uh, video, please hit the subscribe button and hit the like button. Thanks for viewing, and we'll see you shortly in the next episode of The Philosophical Angle. Rick, see you later. Thank you. See you. Thank you for joining us on The Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment. 